Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 786 with Becky Mulligan. My team here in this restaurant know that I've got their backs and that I'm doing everything possible to serve them. And even in a year where we had to lay off a lot of our team and our friends, I think that that trust has done really well for us. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Bebot is the next generation of point of sale. That's because it's mobile, it's in your pocket, it's fast, and it's so easy for your guests to use. Not to mention it's contactless, it's branded to your restaurant, there's zero commission fees. You can use this technology through takeout, delivery, and dine-in, and it integrates with your POS. Bebot, the contactless order and pay solution powering the future of hospitality. To get your first three months free, go to www.bbot.menu slash unstoppable. Procter & Gamble Professional provides a wide range of cleaning and disinfectants for your business needs. Get the cleaning and disinfecting products you need and the peace of mind you deserve. Not only does Procter & Gamble Professional make you cleaner, it also makes you more efficient. Dollar Professional Pot & Pan cleans 58 Eight percent more pots and pans than the leading competitor, Dom Professional. It's clean, upgraded. This episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And Seven Shifts is trusted by over 400,000 restaurant professionals because it gives you the tools you need to streamline labor operations, communicate with your team, and retain your talent. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.sevenshifts.com slash unstoppable that's the number seven s-h-i-f-t-s dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free what's going on unstoppables just a quick reminder to please support this podcast and the way you do that there's a few different ways to do that one you can support our sponsors if you go check out our sponsors they will say hey wow supporting this podcast means we get more customers and that's great and they'll buy more sponsorship and you can use our links anytime there's a tool or service organically recommended on the show i reach out to that company i find out if they have an affiliate program and i can earn a commission if i I send people their way. So please use our links. You can share this podcast. If you're finding value, which I know you are because you keep coming back, put this sucker on the radar of all of your friends and family, anybody you know who's trying to be great in the restaurant industry, share this podcast with them, please. And then lastly, come hang out in Restaurant Unstoppable Network. It's in the network where I'm connecting my guests in these tools and these technologies and these experts with my audience, uh, my most loyal listeners. And there's like a support group of just passionate restaurateurs coming together, leaning on each other and supporting each other. It's really beautiful what's happening over there. We have over 128 members in the network now. We're, we're growing gradually every week. So come hang out, be a part of this mission to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. Today, we're talking to Becky Mulgan, the chief executive officer of LPQ, the the little beat table and 
little beat. Um, and wow, uh, I love her story. She has an incredible come up of working for Starbucks for 15 years, almost 16 years everywhere from being a director. Uh, I think her, she got started as a leadership and management coordinator actually with Kinko's. And then from there she got hired as a director, uh, a district manager for Starbucks. And then she was a regional manager and then she was the director of mobile ordering and pay. And then she was the director of program development. And then she was the director of us prioritization planning and promotion. And then she was a regional director for Starbucks. She had an incredible career, almost 16 years with Starbucks. And in 2018, she joined the little beat and uh, the little beat has since grown to be the little beat table and uh, LPQ. Um, there's a reason why I'm using the acronym. It's hard to say. Well, learn more about that during the recording but such a great episode today i really enjoyed my time with becky here it is with excitement allow me to introduce to you today's guest she is the ceo of the little beats the little beat table and lpq you can go ahead and say that for me uh, you told me i could get away with lpq but let's let's give it a little bit more respect go for it yeah there's no way i was gonna spit that out correctly <laughs> <All right. laughs> becky mulligan are you feeling unstoppable today i am feeling unstoppable today yes and i'm yeah. so excited to be here i cannot wait to dive into your story and to find out how you got to where you are today but let's get that motivational inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra what do you got for us yeah so i'm going to uh share with you from an amazing human being maya angelou Ooh. um just for her, right, seek patience and passion in equal amounts, right? Patience alone will not build the temple. Passion alone will destroy its walls. Mm, that's and powerful. And dive into why that resonates with you. First of all, she's the first person that ever caught my attention with a spoken word. I can listen to her so soothing and inspiring and wise. I just think she's an amazing person. I mean, you look at her story and what she created from a really rough start. It's inspiring. Yeah. But the quote itself, I think, really speaks to the restaurant industry yeah. and, in my view, leadership. Right. I'm an extremely passionate person. I can go really intense and be really excited and all in on something. I have to remind myself that the patience balanced with that passion you know, gets a much better result. So, so why is this unique to, especially unique for the restaurant industry? You say you, you said it really speaks to the restaurant industry. Why? Mm-hmm. I think even more so after what the industry has been through in 2020 and continuing in 21, especially here in New York city, yeah. the heart of my brands in New York city, the um, devastation and kind of obliteration of the restaurant business in New York right. city has been difficult. And, and honestly, I've had to have the moments where, if I wasn't so passionate about the brands and my team, I probably wouldn't be able to like get up and get on another day, right? Yeah. Because it just has felt like uh, we're a punching bag all year long. Okay. But yet, I also have to have the patience to say, okay, we're going to get through this. And if I'm passionate about helping to rebuild New York City and DC and LA and Miami and all the places where we do business, I have to like be patient, wait it out, make smart decisions. But there has to be that driving force that is like maybe a little bit unrealistic and irrational pushing me. Yeah. And when I heard you say that, what came to my mind, I feel like a lot of people who get into this industry, we have big dreams, right? And I feel like we we go for those dreams out of the gate. And I just, I I try to encourage people, it's good to have big dreams, but just know that it does not happen overnight and that you will kill yourself 
you will kill yourself. Like you said, like that patience will break down your walls or that passion will break down your walls. Cause you have to, it's that constant, like, like, our, like the, like Danny Meyer, the great New York restaurant tour says constant, gentle pressure and just yep. keep showing up and be patient. And I think that's a really important message for young people who are early into this industry to know that like, you'll get there, but know that it's not going to happen overnight and start where you can don't, don't get yourself into trouble going big out of the gates because that's a lot of liability. What are your thoughts on that when I say that? Yeah, I I agree because my like natural place is to take on the world. I'm like, I could conquer the world. Like, yeah. let's go. Let's open, you know, 20 restaurants and do all sorts of crazy things. Um, but I, I think <laughs> Danny's words, of course, are wise because if you just work through it one day at a time and you do have that pressure and, and I do think of it as like intensity to get through it then you're going to keep moving forward. And next thing you know, you look back and you're like, wow, okay, we actually accomplished it yeah. because we were thoughtful, yes. intentional, yes. you know, and, and had a plan, but sometimes also sort of broke through the plan and just charged forward. Yes. So. I love this great way <laughs> to get this thing started. So where does it make sense to start telling your story? Cause I know you, you have kind of a unique path into the restaurant industry. You were at Kinko's. I was. What is, what is yeah. Kinko's? I, I mean, I think we've all heard of it. It's, it's, it's owned by FedEx now. Is that Age correct? myself. Yes. Yeah. So, um, Kinko's was acquired by FedEx quite some time ago. When I worked for the company, the prime business they were in was actually producing supplemental materials for universities. Okay. Uh, when I started, that was actually my job, a temp job, hired while I was in college to help like with supplemental materials, right? Like I'm going to do this for 90 days and then I'm going to, you know, keep going to school and, you know, get on with it. Never was something I thought I would stay in for 13 years. Right. However, there was something unique about Kinko's at the time, and it was very much like an entrepreneurial spirit type business led by a gentleman named Paul Orfola. And so in that kind of a spirit, if you said, hey, I want to learn or I want to grow or I want to do something different, they were always like, okay, nice. I'm like, hey, I want to be a salesperson. You know, I want to get paid on commission, like drive my own income. They were like, cool, go for it. So you know, that's what... So Yeah. That, yeah. And, like, and- Looking at your, I don't have a lot of information about your time at Kinko's, but I do see that you were in leadership and management and you were in corporate sales. So I I feel like leadership and management are two skills that you can't have enough of in the restaurant industry. Correct. Um, But how else did this set you up for success for the restaurant industry? Yeah, I think you really hit it right right on the head. Leadership. Um, I think the most important thing I learned through all the different roles that I did at Kinko's was how to lead people through personal power instead of like positional power because whatever my role was it didn't matter it was how i behaved what's the difference between personal power and positional power yeah so i mean i think at the the core of the definition right positional power is hey i'm your boss do what i say because i told you to uh personal power really being the fact that people believe you and believe in what you're doing together and believe that you're going to do something bigger and better together, not because somebody's your boss yeah. or you report to them. Yeah. And what's really cool is that whoever, who was this gentleman's name, his name again, the, the, the person that said like, what do you want to do? Oh, well, all my leaders at Kinko's were like okay. that, but that was really driven by Paul Orfala, who was the founder of the company. Okay. Paul O. Orfala. Yeah. Orfala. Um, so what I love about this is he, he understood and I don't. He, he was ahead of the curve to know this. I feel like back in like the early two thousands, but the the power of autonomy, yeah, right, and giving people like letting people choose their path. Why is that powerful? I think it's powerful. I mean, it really comes to empowerment. Mm. Is how I see that. Right when you empower people to believe and to dream, and that you know somebody who might be really young and, and in a difficult place in their life because I was at that time, but they were like, oh, she actually wants to work and do something. Where you reach out your hand and say. 
I believe in you, you know, so if you put in the hard work, I'm going to put in the hard work and together you're going to grow. And so uh, I, when I look back, you know, being 18, when I joined that company, um, that had a profound impact on so how I grew as a leader. Too. Yeah. Wow. So you yeah. were, that's okay. Yeah. Tackling I was in it. school. Taking over the world, like you said, right? Yeah. Went off to college, trying to find a job, landed a temp job, 90 days, turned into 13 years. Okay. So really <laughs> so. kind of paint the picture of how, you know, how much you grew, how you evolved from the, the time you were 18, you were there for uh, 14 years, we said? Yeah. 13 and some, some change. Yep. So it's your mid thirties. Um, how, I mean, you grow so much during that time. You're yeah. so malleable during that time. Yeah. How did this organization shape who you were to be ready to, in a little bit of a teaser, join Starbucks in uh, 2003? And you're with 2003 to 2018. So you really spent yeah. a lot of your career in just a <laughs> Very few loyal. Spots. Yeah. You're an <laughs> yes. entrepreneur is I think what they call them, right? Um, yeah. Go for it. There's a theme, though, because, yeah, I was with both of those companies for long periods of time. However, I did so many different roles in both companies that it really helped me be I saw a that. general manager, right, in a yeah. way. So. I've done HR, training, sales, innovation, operations, multi-unit, production centers, right? Like, you name it. Both companies actually gave me the opportunity to grow and to create my own, you know, path forward. Um, But really what set up the change from the printing industry to the coffee industry was, um, I think like a lot of people in 2001, um, there was some soul searching at the end of 2001, you know? I'll never forget that on 9-11, my husband worked for Kinko's at the time, too. I'd put him on a plane the night before. He's in Phoenix. Uh, we had three little boys. I dropped them all off at like various schools and daycare that morning. I was getting my coffee, and I hear about the, the planes hitting the Twin oh. Towers. I was actually standing in a Starbucks when I heard about that. And they had the radio on, and everyone started talking about it. And I just remember this feeling of like, okay, I think something crazy is going on. And as we got through all of that, and I was sort of reflecting on it, I'm like, what am I doing with my life? You know, am I doing what I love? And I realized that while I was really grateful for the experience I had at Kinko's, I was not extremely passionate about the product yeah. or what it did for people. Okay. And, and so being serendipity or whatever, I thought, you know, I, I was at Starbucks and I wasn't a regular customer because I was new to Albuquerque at the time. I'm um, like, but somehow it helped me get through that day. It was comforting. And then I'm, I started buying coffee from my team at Kinko's. I'd like take the deposit to the bank and I'd pick up coffee. I'd bring it back and they would smile. Yeah. I'm like, wait a second. So I'm handing you this cup of a beverage that's been around for thousands of years. And now all of a sudden you're happier. It's crazy what food and beverage does. It's right? crazy. Yeah. And so I thought I want to go work there. I want to like figure out why there's yeah. this thing, you know, that's hospitality that like can literally change somebody's day. And that. so I applied for a store manager job, but um, I had a lot more experience than that at the time. And I remember the recruiter called me and she's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah. Like, do you know what that pays? I said, I have a guess, but you know, my husband's supportive, but we can get by and less pay for a while. I want to get in, mm-hmm. figure out what's going on in each individual store before I, you know, take on anything else. And she's like, okay. I mean, it took really like six weeks, I think, for me to convince them that I really wanted to be a store manager. And so I got in, loved it. Yeah, loved I, w- I want to tap the brakes real quick. So, I'm like chomping at the bit to like yeah. really highlight some of the things that you've shared with us up to this point. Yeah. And I think we can use your story as an example that when, when we have young people join our team to really sit down and have that conversation with them with where do you want to go? 
What do you want to do? What's your, what's your, what's your vision for yourself? And to really understand the strengths and weaknesses and passions and desires of the people that you work with, and absolutely hire them on as a, a, a introduction, like or a, a, a you know a, what's the word a frontline employee or whatever. Mm-hmm. But know where they want to go because if you know where they want to go and you see that they have talent, you see that they have a, a certain knack, whatever they do, or you mean. You're just not. You got to tap into the potential. You got to know what's there because we just let so much talent fly under the radar, right? Mm-hmm. And then once we realize that this person has it, then we can move them up. And that's why we're constantly hiring for the most base level employment. We're constantly feeding that funnel, right, and moving people up. And that's how you scale. That's how you grow. Yep. I think that that's we didn't really we we, we said it, but we didn't really mm. say it. And I think that's yep. what was happening there. Yeah. And then I love, I love. Um, just why why you got into the restaurant industry the power of making someone stay and i think yeah. that's what i think i that drew, drew me to this industry is that you can literally make like it's just so rewarding to make somebody's day you know and uh, i just wanted to put a little emphasis it on is that yeah well if i can kind of pull that emphasis back Please. this way too and kick it back and yeah. forth i think also not only can you make a customer's day but it's so easy to touch a lot of people like you mm-hmm. were just saying from like the internal team my greatest joy um, you know, with my teams or with my companies is seeing somebody that we hired, you know, at a very like basic level job grow into what they want to be, whatever that is, right? Yeah. If they want to be, you know, a vice president or a COO or whatever, or if they just want to, you know, be a shift manager and take care of the evening shift every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, whatever that thing that they want to do when that happens, that's my joy. Yes. And the industry just allows that both ways, right? Yeah. A customer and your internal team can be so fulfilled from the experience. I love it. I love it. So. Um, and I think it, like moving more towards the, your experience at Starbucks, too, I think, I don't know if it was intentional, but I think it's also really wise to get that line experience. Like it's because you can relate to the most important people, like your, your baseline employees, when you go through that and you, you, you don't have to empathize, you can sympathize with, yeah. you know, so to know. It's like when you're starting a restaurant, like you want to do every job and then delegate it because you know how to do the job yeah. and you don't want to be reliable or reliant on one person. Completely. Um, so was that going on in the back of your mind or was it just kind of happenstance that like... No, it was very intentional. Okay. But of course, the best laid plans, my intention was to know a restaurant, a store inside out so that if I grew into bigger leadership roles, I would know that to your point. However, I was only a store manager for four weeks. Um, and I got promoted to a district manager job. So um, I actually had wanted to spend more time in the store, you know, as a barista, um, you know, doing the orders, doing the schedule. Um, I was really lucky, maybe right place, right time. It all just came together. Um, and I, I loved the fact that I quickly, you know, grew into a multi-unit role. So yeah. it was a short period of time, but I wouldn't trade those weeks for anything. So the year now is 2003. Yeah. You hi- you get hired as a store manager. Mm-hmm. Uh, you go to from store manager to district manager between 2003 and 2009. And then from 2009 to 2014, you're the regional director. And then from 2014 to 2015, you're the director of mobile order and pay implementation and operations and operational innovation and then from 2015 <laughs> to 2016 director of program development and operational innovation so like where were you really growing the most as a professional during this time and i, I didn't even finish because like 2015 yeah. 2017 director yeah. of u.s pri- prioritization planning and promotion i mean you're so well-rounded <laughs> um but like like yeah. where did you like 
like get into like the 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 challenges, the the jobs that you really excel at. You you know, really start to pull back the, mm-hmm. the layers for us. Well, I think I pulled something from every single role because while some of those positions cover a long period of time, we moved and they were in different markets. So I moved from New Mexico to Dallas to North Carolina and then to Seattle, and so. While I was a regional director in multiple places, I learned something different about people in each one, right? Doing the business in the South is different than doing business in the Northeast or the Pacific Northwest because people interact a little bit differently. Culturally, there's yeah. different social concerns. There's different cultures. There, yeah, it's, it's all different. And so even in some of those roles, I learned a lot. But um, I think when I moved to Seattle and took on something that scared the heck out of me, that was a huge growth period. So it's because, 2015. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was settled into being a regional director in North Carolina, killing it, great results, happy team, you know, feeding the development pipeline. And uh, someone called me and said, hey, do you want to come to Seattle and talk to us about doing this job? And I'm like, I think I'm the wrong girl, right? Like, Wait, before we get into that, I feel like there's some nuggets that we can, some, some, I don't always get to talk to, to somebody who takes on these roles as, you know, region or what was it? Director to, to regional director. Yeah. So I guess what I want to get into what I'm alluding to is organizational structure. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and as we're scaling, I mean, I don't know when it makes sense to have these roles. Uh, where was Starbucks? Or, like, I mean, they were, they're probably at like a thousand. You came on 2003. They were probably at a few hundred units. No, there were uh, actually, I think there were 2000, 2000 or so units? at that time. Yeah. Okay. In the U S and then, I mean, by the time you left, how many hundreds? Yeah, of I think of worldwide. I think, don't quote me on this for being totally accurate, but I think around twenty four thousand globally. Okay. And in the U.S. business, which was usually my focus, company operated stores, I think we had like eighty five hundred at that time. So, I mean, at what point do you think like these these roles of director and regional director are even necessary? I mean, I don't know how much time it makes sense to spe- stay here, but I'm kind of just interested in the organizational structure and channels of communication. I think there might be some lessons here. Huge lessons. Um, There are actually really big roles in that organization because the company is so big. So, um, and they can take on different shapes. Like, so for a while in North Carolina, I had only a hundred stores, but for quite a while I took on two regions and had over 200 stores. And so the learnings, you know, and the team that you build and being accountable to the P and L, for a business that size, but also learning how to make real estate decisions, um, how to deal with you know the HR components of the business, training, development, recruiting. I felt like, and as, maybe especially because I was in a more remote area of the country at that time, it was my world. I felt fully accountable, responsible, end of the day, good and bad, it was all my fault. Mm-hmm. And so that was a critical role to be able to really like own the business and understand the accountability, not only to the company, but to my people, right? I felt so accountable to serve them effectively that um, that was really formative for me. And that was a five-year period of time where um, I think I got into the role feeling a little bit uncomfortable. I had never planned on living in North Carolina, but unfortunately, my predecessor had passed away suddenly. And so it was an unplanned move that happened quickly. I find myself in North Carolina with a team that's just been through tragedy and didn't know what I was doing, right? To go from that to feeling like, okay, like I got this. I'm training other regional directors at that point, having a really successful business. Actually allowed me to say, okay, now I can develop in something. And whether the title or not is lateral, for me, what was more important was something that was like intellectually challenging 
And also, ultimately, what became really important was a job where I no longer had thousands of people reporting to me, but more of an individual contributor leading something strategic. Okay. Um, So, man, so many questions ran through my head. So, (laughs) one of the things I identified, because I had the the privilege of speaking with uh, Chris Schultz. uh, Is Schultz or Schultz? Schultz. I think it was Schultz. Yeah, it's Schultz uh, and Howard Bihar uh, on the show, and I, I kind of re- and I've read Howard's book, so I kind of know the the Starbucks story. And one of the things that Starbucks did really well is they were able to scale scale culture. Yep, um, and it's because the brand just had such a had so so much weight to it, you know, and so much people just knew the Starbucks brand, like the third place. Like it, they communicated their culture really well, and I'm curious about what you learned from that organization about how to scale culture and you said the word accountability and i'm wondering if that was inherent if if that was just a part of who you were or if they if they trained in accountability into you which ties to how they scale the culture yeah good question i definitely have an inherent responsibility accountability that's strong right so there is that that just sort of comes with me but what I learned through the company is that because I had the opportunity to work in so many different areas, I was able to pick up on what were the threads of culture that were important and when was it alive and really working well for us and when was it not working well because we had both things happen. And so um, I think for me, it was like good reflection points on what are the behaviors and the way that you lead and, and what makes people behave in a way that drives a culture. And what are the ways you can lead that drive behaviors that don't drive culture the way you want it to? It still drives culture, just maybe not what you want. And so um, I was really grateful to work for the company for so long. And I I walk away from that truly believing that you can have a strong culture and people can feel great about coming to work every day. And that it's not just a job, but that they're part of something bigger. And I don't think I would have developed that without really growing up as a leader in, in the Starbucks organization. Okay. So what were these threads that drove culture? You said you were able to identify the mm-hmm. threads that really drove mm-hmm. culture. Which ones were they? Yeah. So finding people that are passionate about the product, I think, is critical. And we learned a lot of lessons about if you hired somebody who says, I don't like coffee they're never going to be able to taste coffee and have the passion for it that you want them to have when they serve customers. So why hire someone who says they don't love coffee right, or, or like coffee or, or at least have the interest to learn about it, yeah. right? And so that was um, something we talked about a lot. Like, is it a critical thing or not, right? And I think it is really, really important. So find people that share your passion. Absolutely. Gonna, and the product that you're serving. If you're listening to this right now and you have a passion for pizza and calzones, hit me up. I'm looking for you. <laughs> All right, keep going. <laughs> yeah, it's true, right? Yeah. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit too. But um, I think also just serve the concept of servant leadership. I think that um, the time I was a district manager in, in the Starbucks company, uh, there was a lot of focus on the servant leadership. And James Autry wrote a great book about it, which I think is an amazing book. But it also played into my personal philosophy on leadership. So then to like match up sort of like this intellectual learning on servant leadership with what my own personal philosophy was and how that's supported by a company where leaders really are there to serve those that are serving customers instead of serving leaders, um, that is critical in the culture. And so those are the behaviors I'm talking about, right? So if I did something because my boss asked me to, but it wasn't the right thing for the barista that was hired yesterday, 
that ultimately is a learning where you're not driving what you need to do in the culture because you're serving those above you, not those that are supporting the customer. Yeah. And uh, to, to, to paint the, the visual image of what servant leadership is, I think what the when people think of an organizational char- chart, they think of a triangle yep. and the people at the top and everybody at the bottom serves everybody at the top. You just flip that upside yep. down. Absolutely. The inverted triangle. So if right. you, yeah, now if you're, if you're the CEO, like you are, your job is to serve everybody above you. Right. And, um, and I love that. And, and I think that's such a, I mean, I like to think that I'm trying to be a, I'm a, I like to think I'm a servant leadership for the restaurant industry. And I, I yeah. keep that, that mentality in the back of my mind when I try yeah. to like think about what I'm going to do. So yeah. thank you for reinforcing my, uh, my approach. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't believe there's any other way, right? right? It's, re- it's so rewarding to so what, are, what are the yeah. benefits in, intrinsic benefits of servant leadership? I think, um, the biggest benefit is trust. Right. I can genuinely say that my team here in this restaurant know that I've got their backs mm. and that I'm doing everything possible to serve them. And even in a year where we had to lay off a lot of our team and our friends, I think that that trust has done really well for us because people have come back. Right. They want to come back. They want to come back to work. And so I think that's the most important thing, because mm-hmm. if if a team doesn't trust their leaders, then, you know, they're always going to be wondering, why am I doing this? Why am I showing up and punching the clock every day? Yeah. So most important, but I think also when I, you know, when I'm talking with the team, authenticity is so important to what I do every day and who I am. I'm extremely transparent. And, um, so if I'm telling them something, you know, and I tell them, Hey, like we've thought about, tried to look at everybody's impact, tried to understand the impact of, you know, a prep cook in a kitchen or a CDC in one of our full serve restaurants or, you know, somebody working the line at, at Little Beat that we've tried to look at all those perspectives. They actually believe it because they know I'm in here cooking with them or serving with them or have at least had a conversation with the person that I'm representing a thought yeah. of. And so uh, all of that just comes together to, um, I think, make the whole team believe like, okay, like, first of all, she's a human like the rest of us and isn't above like coming in here and cutting yeah. broccoli all day if we need it. And um, also that, you know, that we are part of the thought process and it's not just about a buck. Yeah. Um, so I feel like authenticity is such a uh, hot word over the it past is. five years, right? Um, mm-hmm. Someone would say it's, it's even a little like cliche, but I'm right there with you that I mm-hmm. think authenticity is huge. But what is authenticity to you? Yeah. I mean, to me, I, I think it goes hand in hand with integrity, right? Mm-hmm. What I do when nobody's hearing, judging, or seeing is like more important than what I do yeah. when I'm talking to somebody or when somebody knows what I'm doing, right? Yeah. Those decisions that I make when nobody's aware of that decision. Yeah. Who, and, who you are when nobody's paying attention. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and uh, walking the walk, yeah. you know, and walking the talk, too. I, I really view that as authenticity. So if I commit something to my team, then I better like yeah. mean it and I better be able to back it up. Yeah. So I think you're so, right to say that it's, it's one part integrity, what, what you do when no one's looking, but also, and if you're the owner or if you're creating a brand and you're trying to create an authentic brand, like who are you when you go home? Mm-hmm. Like, what are you going to, how are you going to decorate your house? Right. Yeah. Like how can you imprint I like to say behind every great restaurant is a great person. Mm-hmm. So the brand is usually an extension of that person, their values and the things that light them up every day. Yeah. So how can you come to work every day, but come to your home in a sense where it's mm-hmm. everything that you love injected into that space. Exactly. Um, so I love, I love this conversation sister. We're already 30 minutes into this. <laughs> um, it's going by so fast. Uh, 
I don't want to cut it short either, though. So is there anything we haven't discussed up to this point with your time at Starbucks uh, that you've learned that's worth bringing to the conversation before we move on to the, the little beat? Um, I think just sort of like the cap of the end of my last five years there, I did bounce around in a lot of different roles, yeah. as you pointed out. And I think it's because I was sort of like putting the final touches on the journey I had and really wanting to be well-rounded. I, I like the term that you used. Um, and not to always be looking for like an advancement in title, I think is an important thing that I, I want to say about that. Because what I learned by coming out of the field, going into the uh, home office environment, learning things about a digital world that I knew nothing about, um, and then also, you know, just sort of challenging what I knew to be true of the business and leadership and being able to apply it in different ways was critical for me to be able to step up and truly be a CEO. Yeah. And uh, I can't help but think of um, Gandhi's words, don't try to become a person of success, but try to become a person of value. Yes. And that's what I think of when, when I hear you say you weren't trying to advance title. Because I think people identify title with success. But what, it sounds like what you were trying to do was to be the best version of yourself, to, to be as most valuable in those roles. And when you focus on becoming a person of value, people take notice, and that's how you advance in, with title. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. Um, great way to wrap up this part of your life. Although I am a little curious. I don't know if it makes sense to go here. I know there was a point, and the only reason why I bring this to the conversation is because it was identified in Howard B. Hart's book, and it came out in conversation with Chris Schultz and Howard. There was a... a a time where Starbucks might have gotten a little ahead of its skis, and a, a little bit of its if it a little bit of its culture kind of started to slip. Is am I fair? Am I, am I fair well, saying that we definitely had a moment in time in two thousand eight yeah. where we closed every restaurant to retrain our teams on espresso and coffee quality, and really the purpose of why we were there. Mm-hmm. I remember the day I actually um, I had a general manager who was sick that day and I stepped in and did the training directly from one of my stores on Westmoreland in uh, <laughs> in South Dallas. And uh, it was, at least in my memory, I don't know if that's the, the moment they were talking about, but it was a pivotal moment to say, this is what we do. And if we let this slip in quality and in knowledge, then why, why are we even here? Yeah. Um, and it was, it was definitely a phenomenal moment. Now, I think there's that type of moment though in a cycle because also um, in uh, I think it was probably like 2017 we were kind of working through that again right like every evolution as the company gets bigger there's a moment to like stop and reground yourself in the values and what your purpose is. I think we're all susceptible to this when we're scaling because it's like you you can only have your feet in so many buckets right right Right. so if you have three buckets that means you're going to take your your one foot out of a bucket to focus on another you know what I'm saying so so it sounds like the reason why I'm asking this question, because no matter how big your organization is, if you're scaling, it's all relative, right? Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to take some focus off of culture to focus on operations and marketing, say, for example, to, yeah. to create brand awareness or whatever, and your culture might slip. So when you've identified that your culture has slipped and it's not where it was when you were, say, at like one or two units, now you're at five or six units, what, what's, the, what's the order of operation to get that culture back to where it needs to be? Mm. I think it's a great question. I mean, being part of, you know, a a large company going through that, it was really complicated because to change the behavior or the the position of culture for hundreds of thousands of people is 
a big, big task yeah. and can take years, yeah. right? And uh, my team at that point, we had a small point of trying to figure out what's the best way to implement something like that and to actually affect behavior change across a wide organization. And so we spent a lot of time thinking about it. We had a war room. We thought of every which way you know, to roll that out across a, a big company. And um, I do think that being real, being upfront, and being direct to the point is important because part of that process, we actually had talking points for each store manager to talk with their entire team one-on-one and say, hey, this is what we're doing. This is who we want to be. Do you want to be part of it? Because yeah. if you don't, then we'll help you respectively figure out what you do want to do. But if you want to be part of it and you're in, like, then you're in and we're, we're going to really get into this and make sure we're headed in the right direction. I think this, this ties right back to authenticity. Talking to people like they aren't, like, don't bullshit. Right. Just say what it is. <laughs> this is the situation. This is yeah. exactly it. And when you give yeah. it to people real, when you give it to them direct, they're going to appreciate that. I think that, again, ties back to trust. Yeah. And once you have trust, the speed of trust yeah. Is amazing. Yeah. Uh, and you can you can move things around. You can turn things around much faster when people trust you. Yeah. They, they buy in, right? Absolutely. Uh, so much more important. Thank you for getting into that. Yeah. Um, okay. So now's a great time to take our first break to thank our sponsors. And we'll be right back to kind of dive into why you left Starbucks and what the transition to becoming a first-time CEO to an emerging brand was like. This episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurants restaurateurs for restaurateurs and seven shifts is trusted by over 400,000 restaurant professionals because it gives you the tools you need to streamline labor operations, communicate with your team and retain your talent. And because you are restaurant unstoppable listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.sevenshifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven S H I F T S.com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry-leading labor management for free. We're back. And so you climbed the organizational chart to the, the near top of Starbucks. You're up there, executive <laughs> level, you know. Um, what what made you want to leave Starbucks? I mean, you found yeah. your, 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 your home. You were here for so long. Yeah. Why, why leave to go to a brand-new organization, four years old? Was that, yeah. like, what was that like? And honestly, I didn't want to leave. Okay. So it was not driven by me saying, hey, I want to leave Starbucks. So I'm going to be really upfront about that, right? Okay. Loved, loved the company. Loved every minute of it, right? Um, and uh, over the years, you know, as they do, a lot of recruiters reach out for different jobs. And um, for many years, I was like, nope, not interested, not interested, not interested. Um, I'd gotten to know a few of them really well. And with one of them, I said one day, I'm like, you know, I vowed... When I came to Starbucks, I would never, ever again work on a brand that I don't have passion for and that I don't love. Um, and so I'll just say, don't even, don't even come to me right? if it's something that I'm not going to love. And, and you know me well enough now at this point to, to know what those things are. Yeah. So fast forward probably two years after that conversation, I get a phone call. I couldn't answer it. So she left a voicemail. She's like, you will love this product. This is you. So let me tell you that first. Please call me back. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, you oh, my attention. Oh, my gosh. And I didn't call her back. Right. Because I was busy. I was loving what I was doing. I was focused at that point. Um, I was actually back out in the field for a little bit working in Seattle as a regional director again. 
um, trying to accomplish some really specific things in the hometown. It was a cool job. Well, did I pull you off that transition to Seattle to talk about some other stuff when we never came no. back to it? No, actually, it's great. Okay. Um, but, um, you know, it was it was an interesting moment because I waited a while and then I called her back. I'm like, okay, now I'm just sort of intrigued. Why are you saying this is something I would love? And she's like, well, this is how you eat, right? This is a vegetable forward company. It's clean. It's small. They don't really know who they are or where they're going. So it's the perfect time to like get in there and like get your arms around it and figure out where it's going to go. She's like, I, I can't think of a better thing. This is you. Yeah. She's like, when we heard about this, you're the only person that anyone on the team said we had to call. Yeah. And she's like, do you want to move to New York City? It's <laughs> <laughs> a big change. I said, well, my husband, who has been so gracious to like move everywhere with me and follow me around you know, the world literally for the last, at that point, 25 years, um, said maybe I'd entertain moving to New York or to Hong Kong. That's about it. Otherwise, I was staying in Seattle. Okay. And I'm like, well, it is one of the two places he said he might be willing to move. So let me, let me think about it. Let me learn more. Okay. Right. And so we probably spent the next month or two just talking over the phone. Um, and finally, they're like, come on, just fly out to New York, meet the team, visit the restaurant, go eat some food. And I'm like, ah. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, like, I'm good. Maybe I don't want to do that. I don't want to commit enough to even go visit, right? Because that okay. means I'm actually interested. Yeah, Join and so let a few more weeks go by. And then I'm like, eh, I might as well just jump on a plane and fly out there for a Vacation. weekend and check it out, yeah. right? <laughs> I actually was only gone, I think, 36 hours. So oh, I flew to New York from Seattle. It was a six and a half hour flight. Uh, you know, spent really just a day, not even a full day uh, on the ground here and then flew back. I was busy. I had stuff to do, yeah. right? And responsibility, accountability. I couldn't let my exactly. team down. So um, I have to say, I sort of fell in love with the brand. Actually, this store that we're sitting in right now is the first store I oh, walked I'm so into. Happy to hear that. Yeah, I love, and you didn't even know that. Yeah, um, it wasn't the first location. It was the first store you went to. Yes, the first. Okay. This is the first moment I interacted with the little beat was nice. in this location. Yeah. So it's near and dear to my heart. I walked in on a Sunday night. They were getting ready to close, and uh, I ordered a Brussels Hustle Bowl. Nice. And I'm going to be sure to have some B-roll so we can show you guys where we're sitting right now and what yeah. this, this space looks like. So what, you said you were just in love with the brand, yeah. um, but specifically, what were you in love with? I love the fact that there is food that is truly good for you, that tastes really great, that's accessible. Mm. Because um, in the fast casual or, you know, the convenience food industry, you're usually dealing with a lot of sugar, a lot of salt, or a lot of fat. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Little Beat is 100% gluten-free, so there's no bread. You don't have any unhealthy carbs involved at all. We don't use any processed sugar. And so those are like two things that were just important to me personally, you know, the way that I choose to eat. But the fact that when I came in and I ordered and I didn't really know what I want, the team took the time to educate me on what the brand was and what the food was How actually. Did they take us through that experience of them yeah. educating you. What was that like? Well, I said, I don't really know what I want yet. Like I don't know the menu. It's my first time. And they just started asking, well, do you know that everything's gluten free? I'm like, I did not know that, you know? And then they're like, well, what do you like? I said, well, I see avocados over there like, oh, man, we can put an avocado in anything. I'm like, that's my favorite food. So we start connecting over avocados. They start telling me about how good they are for me, you know. And then I finally, uh, one of the guys, he was so passionate and excited. He's like, my favorite thing is a Brussels Hustle Bowl. You just have to get it. 
Is that still on the menu? Oh, absolutely. Oh, man, that it's our be, top thing. That might be I'll lunch. get you one when we're done. <laughs> um, and I was hooked, right? It was so good and so flavorful. And I, I sat there eating it thinking, I like this is so good for me, too. And mm. the fact that I could go in somewhere and get it, um, you know, that sort of changes my perspective on yeah. food and yeah. food accessibility. Um, I can't so. help but think, I keep on, I, it, it kills me every time I think to tell the story, to use it as an example. Um, it's it's um it's an Italian restaurant brand nationwide based out of Houston Davio not Davio oh my god I can't think of it but the the founder of this brand said it's the power of enthusiasm uh, right uh, yeah um, yeah and, and that's what's coming into my mind right now why you yeah. love this brand you yeah. loved it because they loved it yeah and that transfers oh absolutely and, and like it's just amazing what happens when like love transfers enthusiasm transfers yeah and it's just human nature if you put two people in a room together the person that's going to win is the most extreme in any direction completely you know so like in 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 you'll in the 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 common energy in the room is going to be uh it's going to be in the middle someplace. So yeah. if you if you if you have somebody that walks into your restaurant who's neutral and like you're way the heck up here and you're super enthusiastic and your passion's up here, they're going to rise. They're going to come up there Completely. with you. And, but if they're like if you're negative, they're, you're going to pull people down. Like, yeah. And we don't even know it's happening. It's subconscious. Yeah. Um, it's so powerful. I mean, yeah. it, they sold you on this job. Those employees sold. And they you had on this no job. idea, right? Yeah. They had no idea this yeah. random person walking in, and it was right before close on a Sunday, right? Yeah. Anybody in the restaurant industry knows that that's the toughest time to have your team engaged right and excited and as a customer like i never knew they were like eager to close and get out the door right like they made me feel like i was the only thing that was important in that moment so 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 where was the organization like what was like like, when you came like where were the original owners still here who were the original owners Mm -hmm. are they still here to this day like paint that picture for us yeah so it's a it's a little complicated and a a cool story you are a really unique interview because i usually do find (laughs) i usually talk to people who develop who started the brand right right? and like why did you start the brand how did you start the brand but you're coming in the brand's already been established for four years yeah because it started in in 2014 you came on in 2018 Right. right so that's a really unique angle but i feel like this is I love unique angles, so yeah. I want I want the perspective. Yeah. So again, sorry, paint that picture for us. Yeah, so there were just six locations: um, New York, uh, DC, and um, I did not have Little Beat Table at that time. I'll maybe get to that okay. in a minute. It was just Little Beat, just the fast casual version, and really centered here in New York with the the DC stores, um, and uh, the the company that founded the brand is called Orify Brands, which is led by two amazing entrepreneurs, Andy Stern and John Rigos. And they really have had a mission to develop and nourish young brands. And so they had a couple of people on their team thinking, okay, there's a bit of a hole in the market. You know, there's all sorts of businesses popping up in New York, but there's not anything that's good for you. And so, um, this they, was where like the good for you brands really started to explode all over the exactly, nation. Yeah. yeah. And so, technically, John Rigos was the CEO of Little B and running this brand, even though uh, together they are co CEOs of Orify Brands. But John was really deep into the Little Beat. So, from the beginning until I came, he was not only uh, leading from his platform role and the other brands that they support, which are Fields Good Chicken and Melt Shop and five guys here in new york um i've had fields good chicken on this show fields failing so so they're okay fields okay. awesome yeah. so yes yeah, same family yep. 
um, and, you know, supported in the same way. Because Orify used to be a shared services platform that little brands could attach to while they're incubating and first growing uh, without having to have a full support team on board. Okay, so it, so so it's feels feels good feels good. I always struggle saying this. Yeah, fields feel good chicken, right? Fields good chicken. Fields, fields good chicken. Thank Which you. Which does make you feel good because yeah. awesome chicken. <laughs> uh, yeah, fields good chicken. <laughs> um, and five guys. What was the other one? Um, Melt? Melt Shop, Melt which Shop. is okay. founded and led by Spencer Rubin. And that's that's grilled cheese, right? It is. Yeah, yeah you should talk with Spencer someday. Okay. Yeah. I've got to round off the brands, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so this is interesting. I think this is really going to be the future of restaurants where you have people are, that are um, what, what Jamie and John did, right? So they, they basically... They, Andy. Sorry, Andy and John. Andy, Andy yes. and John. Thank you very Andy, much. Yeah. Andy and John. So what you do is you... you and it's kind of what they're doing at uh, Chef's Table out in like Portland, Oregon, right? Yes. So, yes. so you have a group of people that covers marketing, accounting, all the boring crap that nobody who loves food <laughs> wants anything to do with. And yeah. we say, we'll do all that. Yes. You do you. Yes. You do food. You do customer service. You do hospitality. And we'll take all the boring crap off your table. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you like about this approach? Yeah, there's some really great things, and I can share with you how that's grown and changed since that moment as well, actually, because it kind of puts us to where I'm at in my role today. But I think for small brands that are just starting, it's phenomenal. It was a really smart approach, a really innovative. I think at the time they started doing it, it's not something that people were doing. No, So they were is, ahead yeah. of their time. I yeah. think maybe 2012 is when Melt Shop was open. So they've been working on this for a while. Um, I think it does give a young brand freedom to focus on the restaurants and, and developing the brand. It's kind of like the, so. the, the it's very similar to the 50-50 operation where like, so there's a, a gentleman out of New Hampshire, um, Jay McSherry. I don't know if that name is familiar. Yeah, Jumping Jay's, Dos Amigos. Oh, yeah. Okay. He, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um, he, what he does is he, he's in the game of, he, he farms people. And he's into real estate and he, mm-hmm. he knows that and he provides when he finds real estate, he's like, okay, I know this person in my organization wants to do their own thing. I'm going to be the opportunity. And he goes, okay, I'm going to give you 50% of this business and I'll take 50% of the business. And it's not 50% that you're losing. It's 50% that you would have never otherwise had. But right. the cool thing is he's grooming these people. He's bringing these people up. Yeah. They have his core values. They have his operations. They have the, the Jay McSherry stank is all over it. Right. And now it's easier <laughs> to, to like inject them into your business as a business yeah. partner. This yeah. is a little different. Where like they got the operations down and the all the systems down, and there's there's fine people that have promise mm-hmm. and potential mm-hmm. and they have an eye for talent, and they say, "Let us like so." I kind of get into that a little bit, like from your perspective, like the the pros and cons, what to consider. I don't know where I'm going with this, but I'm just yeah, I'm curious. So what are your thoughts. I- a couple different thoughts. I think it works really well, but depending on how much you want a brand to scale or how much it starts scaling is when it gets a little trickier, right? Because the, the team that was really kind of at the forefront at the inception of Little B, amazing team, um, but really driven from the passion and not knowing what to do next to scale a brand up. So with the, and it became super clear that yeah. the brand was scalable. Mm-hmm. So, so um, Jamie and John, uh, Andy and John uh-huh. were the creators of the Little Beat. Yeah. Um, who was like the the person that's like it's my passion, it's my dream to have a healthy food restaurant. Who was yeah. that person? So they had a chef on the team at the time, Franklin Becker, 
and then a gentleman named Andy Duddleston. So Franklin and Andy were really paired to bring the brand to life with John and Andy's leadership. Um, Franklin, a really talented chef. You'll still run into him here in New York doing different concepts. Franklin and Decker? Franklin Becker. Okay, Franklin mm-hmm. Becker. And who was the other person? Andy Duddleston. And is that a separate Andy from the original Andy and John? A different Andy, yes. So Franklin and Andy. <laughs> okay. So Franklin and Andy really focus on creating you know, what's happening inside the Little Bee. It's morphed and changed a lot since then. They've both moved on from the company. Okay. But they definitely are the, the co-founders that um, opened the restaurant up on 50th, which was the original Little Bee. So did it, was, it, was there a person first or a concept first? You know, I've heard um, a couple of stories about it. I think there was a concept first. There was a hole in the market. Yes, yes. And then, see, this is, I, this is really interesting because I literally just had this conversation yesterday with um, uh, Mexico founder Thomas uh, Kelly. Yeah. And his thing is he loves food. And his right. business partner, when they were getting started, loved to, he was the entrepreneur. He just wanted to grow a brand and focus right. on the systems and stuff like that. Yeah. And I tend to lean in the direction with your brand should be an extension of who you are, yeah. you know, cause it's going to be easier to show up every day. But at the same time, if who you are is loving to build things, right. Then you need to find your Thomas Kel- Keller. Exactly. Kelly. I keep on doing that. Thomas, uh, Kelly, <laughs> you need to find that person that loves the thing. Yeah. That loves to do the thing. And it sounds yep. like Andy and John were the person that the hole in the market operation systems, like we love creating stuff. We yep. need the person that has the passion to do this. And that was Franklin and Andy. Yes. Okay. Yes. I love it. And, um, and so through a lot of different things, right? They, they moved on. Everyone has realized, oh, this thing has legs. This brand can go somewhere. But it was, we were still recreating it every time any restaurant opened. Okay. That's the point the brand was when I came in. Okay. And so the ask was, hey, how do we figure it out? Let's get the visual branding done. Let's figure out what the marketing plan is. What's the vision? What's the long-term approach? How do we make it scalable? How do we build the foundation? Okay. And that was where that all that bouncing around in different roles, right, comes into play. Because I'm like, oh, I've kind of dabbled in all yeah. of it, right? And I have a passion for the food. And I have a passion for people. Okay. And I think one thing that, um, not one thing, he did a lot of really great things, but Andy Duddleston is so passionate about people that he had really this been... This is the second Andy. Yes, okay. yes. The one who was in the restaurants, really making it happen. Got we it. call him Duds. Um, he really was connected with the team and the people. So he really had that, you know, that culture going where everybody's in it together, working together as human beings, right? I'm not better than you. You're not better than me. We're all trying to do this thing. And so he had really created an amazing uh, team. A lot of the original team members are still with us that were at that first restaurant. And they've grown, and many of them are general managers now. One of them is a district manager, you know. Um, but but we have an extremely loyal team, and I do credit the way that uh, Andy was so in it with them at the beginning for helping to create that. Really, uh, I'm really lucky in this. You're probably figuring this out at this point, right? Like, <laughs> oh my god, this girl's like so lucky because now she's got this brand which is personally so passionate for me. Um, I can see it like I could see hundreds of little beats, you know, I could just see it happening for us. And uh, while that sounds great and fun, it's been a lot of hard work over the last two years to get the foundation ready, get the brand ready to scale. Right before COVID last year, I was actually sitting with my um, principal investor sharing my growth plan 
which was to open hundreds and hundreds of little beats. And we were <laughs> like, you know, zeroing in on it. We'll, we'll still do it, but we're, we're paused. And so we took the time to continue just refining the brand and working on it and making sure that we've got it ready to go. So that's what I want to get so into next. It's I'm been happy. amazing. Because it sounds like when you got here, it was time to be like, okay, this is who we are. And this is yep. who we can be. Yep. How do we get to who we can be? Yep. And you identified you needed a new vision. You needed a new basically brand, core values, yep. colors, yep. image, yep. whatever. Um, and you needed to be able to streamline processes so you could scale. Yes. So let's go through it. Like yeah. you needed a vision. What was the vision when you got here and how have you changed that vision? Yeah. So I think the vision was, hey, we're going to like share food knowledge, create a cool culture, have healthy food and it's gluten free. Yeah. And we hadn't really taken the vision further than that. Okay. And so initially I'm like, okay, I got this fast casual brand. What's the vision? Well, I started to, you know, formulate that working with a lot of people, not just me, right? Team. And then the opportunity to pull back in Little B Table, which was the full serve version, which had been run completely separately uh, for a while, was on the table. So I'm like, okay, well, this vision I've been formulating for Little B might be a little bit different if we pull table back into the mix because then you're fine dining, full bar. It's a whole different scenario, right? And so during that time, like I kind of let my creativity go wild i'm like i actually want to do something bigger uh and i think andy stern asked me one day he's like well what do you really want to do i said if i could do what i really want to do i want to make sure that like every child has healthy food to eat i want to make sure that everybody knows what they're putting in their body that people are thoughtful about it that they're sourcing from good sources they're working with farmers that are working ethically i'm like all of that and I want it all to come together in a really cool restaurant that people want to go to. <laughs> I love that. He's like, well, then do that. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. So we start thinking about this bigger wellness company. And um, again, all of this gets a little murky for me too, because about this time, the world is shutting down, yeah. right? Yeah. And um, so we end up closing all our restaurants temporarily. We lay off hundreds and hundreds of people. We're like, okay, well, what now? We're like, we're going to get through this. I'm determined to emerge from this thing, whatever it is, right? I'm like, two weeks, four weeks, four months, whatever. Yeah. Never thought it would be a year. Or but, two. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so um, I definitely was in a, in a rough place for a while as we were going through all the layoffs and it was just heart, heartbreaking. Yeah. And then I'm like, well... All I can do about it is make sure that when we come out of this, I have a brand that can be really successful so I can hire as many people as possible, create as much opportunity as possible, and have a really cool thing going on. And so we were working on really creating this broader concept of a wellness company, which doesn't necessarily just have to be a restaurant, right? So Yeah, and you also don't need to necessarily do that tomorrow. You right. just need to know that that's where you want to go. Exactly. And, and I think that's what's really important about a vision is it's, a, it's hope. It's a right. destination. It's something to work towards. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Well, and with, within that, yeah. what emerged was a brand belief of, I really just wanted to create a world of possibility. Mm -hmm. That's really at the core of all of this. Possibility. What? Possibility for people to grow and develop. Possibility for people to understand better what they're eating, to be healthier, to mm. be fulfilled. So what we're doing right now is the visioning process, and which is really powerful. And I'm hoping you guys are picking up on this. Yeah. And if you don't have a vision that in, that excites people, you need to create a vision because this is what you're going to do to get people to join your team. To this is how you're going to find people like you because they're going to be. That's where I want to go too. Right. You need a you need a solid vision, and if you 
I think Ari Weinswag does visioning really well. Oh, sorry, Ari's. Yeah, Ari Weinswag from Zingerman's does visioning mm. really well. He, he teaches visioning really well. I had him in the network, and we did a whole workshop on visioning. So if you guys are interested in that workshop, um, head to the show notes of this episode, um, and I'll have a link to join the network. You get a 30-day trial. We go through visioning huge. We also go through uh, did a whole session with core values with Rudy Mick, too. Mm. So I'm sure developing your core values is a part of this whole process. Absolutely, so, yeah. So where was your core values or where were yeah your the the team's core values yeah. when you got here? So the core values of the team were actually really strong within the little beat table. Didn't really have core values so much at the time. Yeah, and it's very different to create culture in a full serve restaurant than a fast casual. So, so did little I'm gonna call table that out. exist when you came here? It existed, okay. but it was being run independently of the little beat. Got you. So Duds had nothing to do with it. It was it went through a series of different leaders. It, again, it's a Full serve is a different animal, yeah, right? <laughs> and so, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the whole kind of portfolio, the team. There's some strong values in the little beat. But I think my broader team thought we probably could dial those in a little bit more. Now that we're starting to think, what's our belief? Like, what do we do? We want to create this world of possibility. And we notch that down a little bit more. We're like, well, then what's our mission? Right? And so we spent a lot of time thinking, what can we do? What are we doing? What's true to us? Is it just about the little beater? Because this extend to other brands. Mm-hmm. Like this can be other brands. Actually, I want to make something where any brand that fits our mission could come into the picture. Uh, and I'm going to set that up for you for just a second. Yeah. But um, where we landed is that we really want to enhance the well-being of our communities through thoughtful food. And I would say communities and thoughtful both have like drop downs to them, right? The way I think about it, communities are the neighborhoods, the cities, the trade area, the different groups of people that we support, whatever it is, you know, that is the people involved, either that we're serving or that work with us, we want to enhance their well-being. Yeah. And this is key. You mentioned the significance of a mission. And the thing is, the cool thing about a mission is we are here to fill in the blank. And there's a million different things that can help you fill in the blank. And that's why it's so important to have a mission because it helps give you, it helps you, once you write down what your core values are, what, what your, your mission is, what you're trying to do, how you're trying to make the world a better place, and what you want to, what you see the future being like, it helps making decisions so much easier. Oh. Because you can be like, oh, this opportunity, is that aligned with where we're going? Nope, sorry. And then if there's something that does come into the, like, that collides with your course, yep. you can be like, you can absorb it. Or exactly. you can like, def- you know, like, it, but when you know where you're going and why you exist and how you're going to get there, it makes th- these decisions so much easier. So it's, much easier. Yeah. And so much easier to align the team and get them excited. Yeah, for sure. So like, oh yeah, like this is it, mm-hmm. right? And when, when I said thoughtful food, for us, that's also wrapped up in the way we buy and purchase and source, right? Mm-hmm. Thoughtful, also like the drop downs into that would be ethical sourcing, relationships with our producers, knowing who's farming our kelp in Maine, right? Like. Yeah. So, so much that goes into being thoughtful about food and is it really good for you too, right? Yeah. So a lot that is caught up in that mission. It. But then the core values, when we kind of had, you know, crafted out the broader, bigger picture things, we're like, okay, we have these cool core values that have worked really well for a little beat. And we decided to keep the legacy of them and really just shift them a little bit. We went from five to four, um, and we thought they really kind of apply to this this bigger thing that we want to do. What are your core values? Yeah, so connect with people, share food knowledge are two that are like at the core of what you see happening in the restaurant, and then um, earn the right to grow. Now, 
most people are like, oh, so like make money? I'm like, yes, but earn the right to grow with our people too. So uh, rarely is there something that just has a singular meaning with me. You're probably figuring that out, right? Yeah. And with my team. So we're like, we have to earn the right to grow with our people and we have to earn the right to grow by self-funding our growth at some point. Mm-hmm. And so we did keep that as an important one. But one that we decided to keep early on um, has really been the one that resonates just so loudly for us this year. And it's stand together. Mm. Right. Um, so we reopened our restaurants just to serve healthcare workers and seniors in New York. We weren't making any money, you know, but that's what was needed. Right now it's just about supporting the brand, right. supporting the community, supporting the relationships, community, right? right? community through thoughtful food it actually started i got a call one day from a guy who worked for a branding agency he's like i don't know you but i'm a customer love your food we're working trying to raise money to support healthcare workers and get them lunch and all they keep telling me is they don't want any more burgers or pizza burgers and pizza are awesome but not twice a day when you're trying to work in a hospital in new york city during march and april of 2020 exactly can you make healthy food for these people i'm like you know what I don't have any staff anymore. I only kept my salary team. All our restaurants were dark. I said, but I will go open a restaurant and I will cook. And I'm sure that I can rally up some people to go cook with me. So we walked into 50th Street by Times Square, um, turned the flame back on and started cooking to get healthy food to healthcare workers. But it was aligned with your values, staying together. So you can make those decisions, right? Yeah, and And then... Yeah, then the next week someone was like, yeah, but we got seniors that can't get out and they need food. What can we do? And it just grew and it bloomed. And we've made hundreds of thousands of meals to support the city at That's this amazing. point. Thank you. And, and so it was interesting where that, that core value has been part of the brand since the beginning. But it became more then. And then also as we've gone through, you know, everything that happened in June with, um, you know, Black Lives Matter and all of the social just challenges that this country has been through. We, again, have leaned on that core value to figure out how to support our team, how to think about our anti-racism plan, how to make sure that we're like checking ourselves and, and doing the, everything we can do, again, to create a world of possibility for people. And so it. that has how it all ties together. And then um, because the pandemic and shutting down restaurants has created such economic hardship, there's been a lot of brands that have gone bankrupt. And so we had the opportunity to acquire Le Pen Quotidien, um, which we uh, finalized that July 1st of last year. So okay. we've only uh, owned the U.S. Uh, component of that brand since July. Um, and so the broader Orify team were like, okay, so now we like acquired this brand. What are we going to do? I've got this new vision mission kind of over my little beat world, but I have experience in coffee and bakery too. And so... All of a sudden, you know, I'm like, ah, what are the core values? I start pinging that team. I'm like, hey, can you guys bring me along on your brand? What are your core values? Tell me about it. And it became so clear that everything that Le Pan Quotidien is about so perfectly meshes with what The Little Beat is about. So we pulled it into the fold. It is now part of our broader, what, working name, Wellco. We're still working on our total parent name. Yeah. What that's done then is allowed for Andy and John and Orify Brands and Field and Spencer to say, hey, we're going to go focus on, you know, growing new brands or M&A in different ways. And now I have the whole support team and everybody that supports the restaurant operating business directly on my team. So we have 
finance and purchasing and HR and all of that supporting the LePan Continuum portfolio, the Little Beat portfolio, the Little Beat Table portfolio. And we also have a fun little virtual taco concept. And then does that same team support Fields Good Chicken in the Mel Shop? Yeah, no. Field and Mel have um, they have smaller portfolio and maybe a little bit of a different aspiration. So they're able to sustain and, and do their thing. Okay. Between the Little Beat Brands and Le Pen Cotidian, we end this year with seventy six restaurants. So we have a you know a little bit more happening broadly across the nation too. Okay. So gotcha. Yep. Wow. So a that's lot, that's the lot, like big journey. Yeah, you just unpackaged a ton there. I love one of the things that really stood out to me is earning this the score value of earn the right to grow. Mm-hmm. And I and I'm curious if it's aligned with one of the biggest lessons I've learned on the show, which is let let cash flow and people determine your growth. Mm-hmm. And I and I kind of feel like I don't know if that's what you mean by that. Like mm-hmm. like you, you can't just go out and grow because if you don't have the cash flow to support that growth and the people to, to inject into the that physical space. Absolutely. So is that kind of what you mean Absolutely. by that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, first, I mean, to have a business, you have to have a business, yeah. right? And, and you have to have some cash flow. Yeah. And, and I think that's where people get in trouble with trying to scale because they just yeah. go, oh, we, we have something. Yeah. Go, 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 go. Big, yeah. big, big, big. First to market, first to market. Mm. And then it's just like whatever it was that made that thing special mm-hmm. is just, it, it's like... It's, it's just too much space to fill. Yeah. It takes time to grow people and values mm-hmm. and culture. It yep. doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. Um, so how do you govern that? I guess yep. is what I'm curious about. Well, there's two words I say probably too much because my CFO always makes fun of me. Um, thoughtful and intentional. Mm. Right. Like I said earlier, I'm super passionate, right? Like if I'm just like, let go, I'm like run, I'm going to go do this thing, make it happen. So I've learned to really say, okay, stop that. Like stop for a second Make sure you're thinking through it and make sure that this thing you want to do, yes, follow your passion, but be intentional about what you want to get out of it. Mm-hmm. And so my team and I have that conversation a lot. We're like, okay, are we being thoughtful? Are we thinking through you know, whatever the consequences intended or unintended are? And are we you know, doing the right thing? I love it. And so that, that really is at the core of that, right? And yeah. earning the right to grow, but also having, you know, we now straddle two different things. We run a pretty big uh, company that is a franchise based in Brussels where we don't own the IP, but we still get to bring it to LPQ. life. Yeah, yeah. LPQ to life in the U.S. in a really cool way. And then we have Little Beat and Little Beat Table where we own the IP, right? I can do whatever I want to do. And so we're, we're kind of like so you working in two different ways. So you don't own the property of LPQ even right. though you absorbed the... The U.S. business, okay. yeah, which is the biggest part of the business, but the actual franchisor is based in Brussels. We're okay, so you're a franchisee of yes. all the U.S. LPQ. LPQ. Yes. Wow, that is complicated. It's complicated. That is complicated. <laughs> it's complicated. But this is cool because this is stuff that yep. I don't usually get yep. to. Like, I'm, this is so new to me. Yep. And it, one of the biggest lessons I've learned is if you can dream it, you can do it. Yeah. You just have to put it on paper. Do you want the last part of it? That's the last part at this moment. That's also kind of like that. Oh my God, I, really? I hope like, I can handle what it. are you doing? Drop it on me. All right. <laughs> so uh, we also realized that uh, Maison Kaiser may not reopen or they were shopping for a new owner in the U.S. Also a franchise based out of France but a big business in New York. Um, and so we decided to acquire Maison Kaiser in, um, let's say we closed that in November, but it, unlike LPQ where we brought in the brand and the franchise right and the sub franchise rights and all of that for Maison Kaiser is really an asset acquisition. So I acquired 
all of the Maison Kaiser stores in New York City, plus their commissaries and warehouses in the Bronx. And we're now renovating and converting them to expand the Le Pen Quotidien footprint. Okay. Um, but we now have one less competitor in New York. So you're not con- you're not continuing that brand. No. The brand's dying and you're using it as infrastructure yes. to grow your LPQ brand. Exactly. They had prime locations and they had a commissary bakery that I just had to get my hands on. Okay, Miss <laughs> Intentional and Thoughtful. Um, so, so what was the intention behind... Because uh, I, was, I was curious... Because I didn't realize it was franchise, so uh-huh. I, I was thinking to myself, "Okay, I know what she's going to do. Yeah, she's oh. using she's using the LPQ brands to to be the 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 the, the framing, the bones, the scale, the little beat brand. Mm. But it's a franchise, so you can't do that. Yeah. So so I'm kind of lost. Like, uh. how are those? How are these two brands? The LPQ brand. I mean, we understood that the the other brand is is dissolving and yep. just going to use the assets yep. to scale. How does that affect the little bee? And how's that all one thing? I still don't know. If you said it and I missed it, I apologize. No, no. Yeah. Some people are like, oh my gosh. And, and honestly, this is, I told you earlier, I wanted an intellectual challenge. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I come into 2021 with a big intellectual challenge, right? Because it is figuring out that, hey, the core values and what Le Pen Quotidien is built on absolutely is at the heart of what we do at Little B. And we work with the team in Belgium frequently. I was on the phone with them this morning. you know. And so we're all working together, even though we are a franchisee to them. We work together to develop the brand. Alignment. Yeah, Again, the, the significance of having these visions, these core values, these missions, yeah. is you get to choose what works, what doesn't work. Because you guys share those values in the mission, it's it's an yeah. easy decision. Exactly. So, so Welco. Yeah. So that is is that going to absorb your little beat mission core yes. values and that it yes. encompasses the whole exactly. So okay. the the brand belief and the mission vision I shared with you earlier is of Welco. Okay. So it, it, we were developing that for what we thought was growing a, a small wellness company turned into a bigger company when we acquired Le Pen Quotidien. What about um, Orify brand? But yeah, so now Orify's <laughs> off doing M&A, okay. which is what Wait, John what, and Andy what? love to do, merger and acquisition, right? Like okay. they can continue to look for opportunities. They can innovate. They can incubate new brands. And so they're off like getting to do so, just fun stuff. And I'm... So the, the, mother, the, the mothership is Welco. Yeah, yeah. Orify Brands is that under that umbrella, or is that a, is that a satellite company? I look that- at them like my brothers. Okay. Right? okay. So yeah. So we're all. I mean, we all still work together. Um, you know, we definitely are are always going to be connected. This is brand new for us to form a new entity that kind of stands on its own as the restaurant operating company that that really can scale. So what I'm curious about, and this is where I'm learning, and I love this. I love what I. I I'm so. I love what I do <laughs> because I'm just such a curious person. I always have questions. I'm, I don't understand. So, as far as legalities go on paper goes, mm-hmm. and this is where it kind of gets personal sometimes, but I feel like there's just lessons to learn and how to organize things yeah. and how to put things on paper. And this is where a lot of people just don't know. They're like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. So, like, you have Wellco, it's a, the umbrella, the mother company. Underneath uh-huh. that is the, um, the uh, Little B um, LPQ and the, the Little B table. Um, and th- the, I got all that right. And our little virtual taco concept. The, yeah. The virtual We're taco just working kitchens, on it. Yeah. Which we haven't yeah. even gone into. Man, yeah. how much time do you have? <laughs> um, <laughs> so, and then on paper, how, how is Orify brands tied to that? Is yeah. It, like what's the, the technical terms of the, the, the relationship? Uh, I'm not, 
I'm not sure we have the ability to define all of that right now. Okay. But really, I mean, for me, John and Andy are advisors. They're, uh, I mean, they're amazing. They're great thought partners. And they're doing really cool things that also they could bring something and say, hey, like this brand needs to tuck under Wellco. It no longer should be in our incubation, you know, M&A world or, or whatever that is. So I think we, it really is like siblings, I think at this point, uh, we're just more focused than we were in the past, right? Where um, we used to have the conversation of how big does a brand need to get before it splits off of Orify? That's what we used to talk about. And now we're like, okay, when does a brand go in Wellco and does it fit and does it make sense? And when can something be developed or incubated over in the AB partners? Okay. So, whew. Uh, whew. I know. <laughs> it's crazy. And oh. we're still figuring it out. Yeah. Right? We're, we're still figuring it out because, don't forget, we're still operating in a pandemic. Yep. We're still trying to open restaurants. I have 20 restaurant openings in the next eight weeks. That's crazy. Um, we well, are... We never talked about how you streamline the systems to scale. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Look at that. See? I'm paying so, attention. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> so, um, well, this is part of it, though. So, at this point now, where all of the support teams are my responsibility as well. So, technically, I'm the CEO of Welco and the CEO of each brand that's within Welco. Okay. Right? And we may change that structure in the future. But what that's done is allowed me to really create a little bit more of a focused vision with this entire team. So our finance team, our marketing team, our procurement team, our production teams are all now aligned under the brand belief and the mission. When you say procurement team, are you talking about sourcing goods? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, they're also tied to production because we have commercial bakeries yeah. and commissaries. I'm guessing that's your biggest challenge with trying to do wholesome food to scale. Ooh, yeah. So how are you overcoming that challenge? Yeah. All right. So we're overcoming that challenge. In Little B, they still prepare everything by hand, fresh, every day. Yeah. They are making soup every morning. They are grinding up chili to make the chipotle sauce. Right. They are cutting every piece of broccoli, every sweet potato. Like okay. it is from scratch full-serve restaurant quality in a fast casual setting. So, I mean, I don't want to make assumptions, but I'm yeah. guessing you had to dial back somewhere. You had to maybe eliminate some underperforming menu items yep. to do a few things really well. Yeah, we also had to eliminate some underperforming stores. Okay. So that was, you know, a hard thing for us to do last year, but part of what you asked about how to get it ready to scale, right? Uh, for me, it's also about making sure that we're in the right location at the right time. Yeah. And um, so we shed some bad deals, some mm. bad restaurants last year. You know, we very responsibly bought our way out of some leases. And uh, we are building new stores and opening new stores, but I have a very disciplined approach to real estate selection. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's one of the things that we've done to get ready to scale is really said, hey, this is the size that we want, the footprint. These are our requirements. This is the frontage. This is how big our kitchen needs to be. All of those things had to be created. So we've spent the last couple of years doing that. We've created every version of the concept that we think we need to scale. So right now I'm out looking for real estate for drive-thrus. For suburban markets, we're getting ready to open one out in Westport, Connecticut, which is a completely different version of the concept than what you see here. Okay. It's a modified table service rather than a big production line. There's a Burger King that just had a little kitchen of fire in Stratham, New Hampshire. Let's throw that on your radar if you're ever interested. Oh, interesting. I want to eat some of this food more often. That's so funny because I tried to (laughs) take a site. 
there, I had my eyes on another site that that brand is in. So I asked my broker to go find out <laughs> if they're staying. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. Um, so we developed all of that, right? We've developed food truck concept. We've developed our um, ghost kitchens. We've developed a Little Beat Marketplace, which is a merger of the fast casual Little Beat, the full serve Little Beat table, and a really unique curated marketplace where you can buy things that help you live the life at home. We're going so to reopen this, that in Chevy Chase. Is this a digital market March. or a physical market? Space? It's like a physical market. So for like not just food, but like apparel, equipment, like outdoor wellness, exercise, that kind of stuff. Clothes. Well, yeah. I mean, those are, I, I would say some of those things are still aspirational, yep. right? Like we want to be able to offer the nutrition consulting on site that you need, okay. right? We're trying to figure out how do we do like a yoga class or have a stretch bar or a meditation pod, like all of those things yeah. that come into the full lifestyle. Um, we developed a new proprietary app this year. We just got it out the door a few weeks ago. That was a big big piece of our scalability okay. is to actually not just have a white label app that we put our name on, but to truly create the user experience that we wanted and build it from scratch. That yes. was a labor of love that was really important to me. And the team did a great job. We had amazing partners. I think in a that, lot of so. people think they need apps. And I think as you get bigger and your more robust operation, it becomes necessary. But at what point do you think an app is necessary? I think it's necessary if you support a midtown lunch. Okay. So, um, and and that's changed a little bit. I don't know if a midtown New York lunch is ever going to be what a midtown New York lunch was. Yeah. But for example, um, at our 50th Street location, we would run a couple hundred customers per half hour through that restaurant at lunch. Okay. And so they're either all standing in line or you also create a digital line and the ability to produce more and increase more capacity. Yeah. So So we actually rebuilt that restaurant. It used to just be one big line. We rebuilt it to have four lines, two that are customer facing, one that's digital and one that's catering. And we like doubled our capacity almost overnight. Volume. It's all about volume. Yeah. yeah. And and honestly, pre-COVID, we still didn't feel like we had enough capacity. Okay. And now that's where we cook most of our meals yeah. to support the community. Okay. Right? So, um, but I do think that you, in my belief, you need an app when you don't have the capacity to have people standing in line. And you need a good app if you want to create an emotional connection with people but before they walk in the door. Gotcha. So, I mean, we've, we've covered a lot. <laughs> um, I'm loving the conversation. Um, is there anything we... Having that wasn't the microphone, was it? Wow, I don't know. That might be a, a something new they're doing back there. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> um, so you never we, know in a kitchen. I know, right? We covered so much. <laughs> My mind is just like, where where do we go? Yeah. Um, and this is okay. By the way, uh, maybe I'll save that for later. Um, anything we haven't discussed up to this point Ooh. that you want to you want to bring to the conversation? Yeah, I mean, this has been fun to kind of. You know, recount the story. I don't do it verbally very often. Um, But uh, I think one thing I do want to say, because this is probably my biggest lesson, especially over the last year, is actually where I started with passion and patience. Um, It has been a roller coaster. If a year ago anyone ever said, okay, well, now you'd have the whole support team and a bakery brand and all of that, you know, a year from now, I would have been like, (laughs) you're crazy, right? But I, I wouldn't trade it for anything because we were able to bring back hundreds of jobs that the Le Pen Quotidian team thought was lost, mm-hmm. right? We've saved a brand that a lot of people love in this country. 
And um, I truly believe that, like, we will be part of bringing the restaurant industry back to life. I love you know, it. Definitely okay. in New York, yeah. D.C., and L.A. So I so. guess that's the, that's the two subjects I want to kind of get into before we move to the speed round. Uh, one is what do you see the future of the industry being? How are you evolving for that? And I think that's kind of tied into the second thing I want to talk about, mm-hmm. which is your um, your taco ghost kitchen <laughs> situation. Um so what makes sense? What came first, the chicken or the egg? Yeah, How do we well, approach this? Probably more important is the the vision for the future and the way we're working on that. Okay. Because, um, again, so many lessons this year. But when you have all your eggs in a midtown lunch business, yeah. because the AUVs are unbelievable and you're like, I have more business than I could ever deal yeah, with, yeah. right? You have a different set of problems to solve than what we're solving right now, right? Now, fortunately, we had already had plans to get out into the suburbs and to start creating different types of formats. But it became clear to me, I didn't have the agility to have a solid business. I I literally had nothing in my control because where my restaurants were, I couldn't even really do delivery because it's not, there was nobody, right? It was a a ghost town. And so uh, developing for like agility and flexibility, whatever the world may bring has accelerated us getting into different trade areas and reaching different demographics of people. Um, I think the other thing, though, that that we're doing for the future, and this comes back to creating a world of possibility, is getting into neighborhoods where other restaurants may not go and creating opportunity for people to work, an opportunity to teach people about eating healthy and just creating access to healthy food where some people might. And so what we're doing is developing a concept in sort of like a proprietor, sounds like you've you've talked about before, where we will uh, develop a, a... a little beat concept in a neighborhood where um, where other restaurants aren't at this time, and we will give our general manager some ownership in it. You know, because I think that it's really important that they can anchor the community and yeah. help gain that trust and and, I think and show people it's possible. Yeah, and I think so. that's a big part of the change in the future um, is that people aren't going to show up to something the same way if they don't have skin in the game. No. And I think it's one of the things that we're learning about. And I think, and I encourage more people to give up equity in their business. And I try to say, it's not what you're not giving up, you're gaining. Right. You know? Absolutely. And I think that's hard for people to understand that. Yep. Um, and you can, and you, you, you're going to attract onto yourself the best people if they know that they can own it. And, and mm-hmm. then people just show up differently when they yeah. own it, you know, oh, completely. And, and I don't know. I think it's just, it's a, it's, it goes back to trust. Mm-hmm. It goes back to it's glue. When you give somebody like a sense of ownership, when their name's on the door, like that's going to tighten the bond so much more because it, cause it's harder to walk away from that. You know, um, what are your thoughts on that? I agree. Um, really what comes to mind, my thought when you talk about this is Amy. Amy Masterson is my chief operating officer for the Little Beat Brands. Okay. Also a long-term Starbucks partner, 27 that years. I think familiar. she was there. Yeah. 27 years. Um, she started when there were a couple hundred stores. Yeah. And I pinched myself with the fact that we had a conversation one Sunday morning. and I'm like, you should move here and work with me. And she's here working with me, right? And she has such an unbelievable way of talking with everybody, being present for them in a way where she has implicit trust of this team. And they will do anything and follow her anywhere. And it's it's amazing to watch. Yeah. And it goes back to, though, having the right people. Yeah. Right? I mean, I went out and, you know, asked her because she's somebody that I trusted and I knew was going to help you know, partner with me and bringing a vision to life and that I could do other things. Yeah. And she wasn't going to let that yeah. fail. Right. And so I think it's just 
the people that you bring with you on the journey is so important. And um, also, though, I will say that as a leader, making sure that the people that come along with you on the journey aren't afraid to challenge you mm. and tell you that you messed up, tell you that that decision you made sucked, and <laughs> tell yeah. you that you know you better get your act together. Well, that goes back to your intentionality, right? And surrounding yourself with people that you know are right. going to put you back on track or challenge you or stronger where you're weak, you know? Exactly. I think it's huge. And never hiring somebody that has the intent to serve me, but that, again, has the intent to serve our team. And so comes, uh, comes back to mission, core values, and vision, yeah. which is why you get to share this stuff because <laughs> your team needs to know where you're telling them to take everybody. Right. And we, you all need to be going to that same place. And you, how do you create a culture? And I, I got to give a, a, a shout out to my boy, uh, Tom Walter, if, but, but uh, I'm going to let you answer this question first. How do you create a culture where everybody, no matter where they are in the organizational chart, feels comfortable enough to challenge anyone? Mm. It's really hard, right? Like I can go through a day and think that I'm approachable and accessible and that anybody could call me, email me or talk to me. Yeah. Unfortunately, every now and then I learn that maybe they're not going to tell me everything, right? Yeah. And then I'm like devastated because I'm like, oh my gosh, am I not like human enough, approachable enough? Like, What is it? But um, there are just some ingrained hierarchy things yeah. that um, I think can get in the way of that. And so for me is hey, if I'm walking into a restaurant, I'm going to, you know, go say hi to everybody, make eye contact, be present and listen when they want to talk. Mm-hmm. And also um, we're doing open forums, which is something I definitely learned from Starbucks, right? Something Howard Schultz started a long time ago, invite everybody in everything's free free yeah. game right yeah. you talk about whatever you want yeah we we do that we had one just after the the capital uh, situation and we really talked about what did it mean to the people on our team that are immigrants what did it mean to the people on our team that are people of color what did it mean to people on our team that were you know new new citizens right like we talked about everything and at the end of that call they were all just saying wait a minute, like so many of us have never talked about this. We didn't talk about work. We didn't talk about sales. We didn't talk about whatever. We talked about being human beings. Mm. And I think that every time that I can bring that forward or help enable that and empower the team to do that type of thing, then we're continuing to build that culture, right? And I'm going to participate in that conversation, you know, and and share things that... I made a mistake on or I, you know, could have done better too. And and so that's my approach and whether it's right or wrong, it's genuine. And so, um, whatever I believe they got going on in that kitchen and starting to hit my nose and it smells so good. I'm sorry to be distracted, but uh, I, I love what you're dropping yeah. on us. And I, I, I had, I started this question with the teaser of Tom Walter, uh, he wrote the <laughs> book. It's my company too. Mm-hmm. And in, in that book, he describes what an entangled organization looks like. And they do exactly the things that you say you do or, you, or what you express to us that you do here at the little beat, which is you open up the dialogue mm-hmm. and you have to let people know that they can say something. Yeah. But they won't know unless you tell them. You, gotta, you, gotta, you have to be the triggering event to say, tell me. Listen, like I'm listening. To, what What do you want? Like, mm-hmm. what? Like, what? How do you feel about this? How do you feel about that? And like, and you tell them where we're going. So when you anybody notices that, like, hey, like 
that's not us. Right. They feel empowered to let anybody know that that's not us. And here are the core values written on the wall. Like, I'm not just saying this. Like, look, I'm pointing to it. Right. This is us. What Absolutely. you're doing is not us. And, like, you have to open up the dialogue. Mm-hmm. You have to give people that channel of communication and say, let us know. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like that's exactly what you're doing. Yeah, I so agree. And I will say there's times where opening up that dialogue isn't for everybody to participate in because sometimes there's need to create a safe space Mm -hmm. for members of communities that might not be the whole team. Yeah. And so that has also been something we're just really thinking about and and it's a hard balance, right? Because sometimes that means I'm not in the conversation Mm -hmm. because I may not know what it feels to be a young transgender black person working in New York City. Mm. And so it you know, it's not extremely useful for me, but making sure that we have or useful for our team for me to be there, but making sure we have the right people that can create a safe space to offer support that everybody needs, whatever their need is, mm. is important. And so while I prefer to just say, hey, let's have one big group and let's all work it out together, that's not always the right yeah. approach for everybody. And so having to think through that as well is so, is so important yeah. um, and creating that safe space. Becky, I'm loving this conversation. I'm looking down on our time here. We're already at almost over an hour and 35 oh minutes. Oh, my gosh. I know. It goes, by so so, it goes by so fast. And this is I'm, I'm happy I've, I've changed the format of the show. I really am because, I mean, we can just get so much. And it's just so nice yeah. to sit down and breathe and talk and, like, to dump it out. You yeah. Know, just to get great. it all out on the table. Um, so one question I ask all my guests before we go into the speed round, uh, the mission statement is to inspire empower and transform the industry you've done that for us today thank you but how have you transformed personally since getting into this industry who are you today versus the woman you are way back in 2003 when you became the director of uh starbucks in new mexico oh my gosh yeah (laughs) Um, i've grown so much as a person and as a leader um I i will say i'm the mother of four i married my high school sweetheart um, not long after I joined Starbucks, my oldest son passed away. And so that is a extremely transformational moment that also, of course, impacts everything about me, right? Because my children are my life and the core of who I am. And so when I think about that question, I'm like the, the life journey has been so extravagant since then. And um, along the way, I've just, I think, hopefully become a better human I've learned a lot. Um, you know, I aspire to put it to the right use, what I learn every day. And so that's my hope. I think I still make a lot of mistakes, but um, at least all the journeys I've had, I've moved six times since yeah. then, <laughs> um, you know, and, and lived a lot of life, worked with a lot of people, um, that I have so much context to the broader world and different cultures within the U.S. and globally that I can have a point of view that might help bring people together. Perspective. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Great. We're going to take one more quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back to bust out a true speed round. Bebot is the next generation of point of sale. That's because it's mobile, in your pocket, fast, and it's so easy for your guests to use. Here's how it works. Using near field communication or QR technology, the guest touches their phone to the location marker, which automatically pulls up your menu. Then the guest selects their order, pays, and tips all directly from their phone. The order gets shot to the kitchen or bar. It's that simple. And one of the things I love about Bebot is that it makes the ordering 
process so much more efficient, meaning your guest will get more time with their server, which means they'll be happier, which means your servers are going to get better tips, which means everybody wins. You win, your guests win, and your servers win. Not to mention, it's contactless. It's branded to your restaurant. There's zero commission fees. You can use this technology through takeout, delivery, and dine-in, and it integrates with your POS. Bbot, the contactless order and pay solution powering the future of hospitality. To learn more, go to www.bbot.menu slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, you'll get your first three months free. That's www.bbot.menu slash unstoppable. I started this podcast because I have a passion for serving people in the restaurant industry because they have a passion for bringing people together with the ultimate love language, their cooking. But with all that cooking comes great, giant, greasy piles of pots and pans, and we can't waste our valuable time with endless sink changeovers, so we must upgrade to Don Professional Pot and Pan. Don Professional Pot and Pan cleans 58% more pots and pans than the leading competitor, less dish soap, fewer changeovers, and more time doing what we love, bringing people together with the ultimate love language, food. Not to mention, Procter & Gamble Professional also provides a wide range of disinfectants for your business needs. Get the cleaning disinfecting products you need and the peace of mind you deserve. Dog Professional, it's clean, upgraded. We're back, and the first question I have for you is, what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success, not the restaurant's success, but your success? Yeah, I think it's presence. Okay. What is your biggest weakness? Mm, um, I want to do too much, too fast. What is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process, the hiring process, when you were doing that? I don't know if you are still involved to this day, maybe the higher executive level stuff, Mm -hmm. but what are you looking for? Yep. Definitely passion for the product, as we talked about. And also the interviews I'm doing specifically, I am looking for people that will challenge me, that will have no fear to tell me when I'm wrong, and will always speak up when something's not right. I love it. What is your biggest challenge today? getting these restaurants reopened and getting the municipalities to allow indoor dining. I know that's short-sighted. That is a huge challenge right now. And the amount of work going into getting restaurants reopened and then opening new restaurants in this environment is really, really hard. Yeah. As well as realigning production facilities and commercial bakeries. I'm, I'm curious about this. And, um, and I know you, maybe you do have the answer. Maybe you don't have the answer. But we keep on talking, you keep on hearing we have to wait for everybody to get the vaccine. Back in my mind, I'm like, why do we have to wait for everybody to get the vaccine when only such a small percentage of people are really, truly at high risk? And if we're getting them the vaccines early on, like, what's stopping us from opening again sooner than later? Yeah. And I know there's some questions like, oh, the virus will mutate and like all this other stuff. And I get that. But where do you stand? You know where I'm going with this? Why do we have to wait for everybody? Why yeah. not just get the high risk people yeah. the option to get it first? Yeah. So- well, I am definitely in the camp of let's all be really responsible. Yep. Let's take care of people that need us to really be cautious of what is going on with them. Yeah. Let's follow every cleanliness standard we can. Keep everyone safe, but let's get on with life. Yeah. And so um, I am so confident that my restaurants are you know working in a really safe way. 
and that, you know, customers want to come in and see them. And so, you know, we'd, we'd love for that to happen. Yeah, and, as, and, as we speak, like the, the most vulnerable people are getting the vaccine. Yeah. So, so exciting. Yeah. So <laughs> I know. Yeah. And we found out yesterday here in New York City, our teams can get vaccinated. So yeah. I heard from hundreds of team members last night that they got their appointments. So we're excited about that. So too. the highest exposure people are going to be getting it. The highest risk people are going to be getting it. Yep. Like, can we get back to work? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Let, um, let's go. Yeah. I feel yeah. that. Safely, but let, let's go. Do all you can do is all you can do. Yeah. I just need some sales. It'd be great <laughs> to, to have people yeah. in, in the city. I feel you. Um, <laughs> what is one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team? A way to be, a way to act, a core value. You yeah. already shared your core values. With us, <laughs> I mean, I, I think I shared them with you, but, you know, vulnerability, authenticity, humility, uh, definitely things that are part of everything we do every day. I love it. Uh, share one uncommon standard of service. So this is something that's common within the four walls of your businesses to go above and beyond for service that's not common throughout the industry. Yeah. So sharing the knowledge that the team has for food, mm. you're not going to find that in a lot of fast casual places, right? Where they actually know what are the specific adaptogens that are in that food, Right. And like, what does turmeric do for you? Why, why do we need turmeric? <laughs> There's going to be a tool you're going to, I have a feeling you're going to mention in a little bit that really helps with e-learning and especially around the menu and, and food knowledge teaser. Okay. Um, what is one book that's a must read to become a better person or restaurant owner? Ooh. Um, so many. I think one, I mentioned the, the theory of servant leadership earlier, but I think that is a critical read for anybody who's going to lead other people. Whether you inherently believe in that philosophy, I think everyone has something to learn by serving other people and thinking about that. So I, I love um, The Servant Leader by James Autry. Okay, I was going to say, I think there's a few books on there's that. There's a bunch. Yeah, yeah so, that's James one Audrey. of my favorite. Okay. Um, I think that book's on Audible too. So head over to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable. If you do not listen to audiobooks and you're in this industry and you just don't have enough time to read, well, guess what? Now you can read and do a bunch of other stuff at the same time. So there's no excuse. It's a game changer. It changed my life. I don't know if you listen to audiobooks. Oh, completely. And I uh, yeah. train past the Audible headquarters every day. Yeah. So it's on my mind, too. Yeah, it's a great, it's <laughs> yeah. a great tool. Um, what is one thing you feel restaurant tours don't well, do well enough or often enough? Be present with their people. Yes. What is one service you've hired or outsourced? So this isn't a technology. This is, this is uh, something that you don't do well. So you've found somebody who does it really well and you've partnered with them to solve a problem or to be a solution yeah <laughs> i'll give a really specific answer to that uh we make a beet falafel which is core to the brand it's really labor intensive it's hard to get it right we spent years trying to find somebody who could make it in volume for us and we finally achieved that and uh you know our chefs and this co-packer had to work really hard to do it now i told you we make most everything fresh every morning yeah. right and so to outsource a core product or the beet falafel was a big big deal I didn't want to do it. I wanted to figure out how do we do it in-house. But end of the day, we have a better product. Our team is super proud of it. It's very clean. This co-packer learned a lot about what it means to really create a clean product that met our standards. And it's really been freeing for us. We yeah. actually use a product in our full-serve restaurants as an appetizer and our fast casual restaurants as an entree. And uh, it's, it's funny how something small like that, when you let yourself look at a different way to accomplish something, yeah. you actually come up with something that saves the team a lot of grief headache labor and makes expense. the customers have yeah. labor and it was so so yeah. expensive and who yeah. who is this producer who you've outsourced to you know i would get it 
wrong if I try to put it in there. So I'm going to, how about I uh, let you know which one of our chefs really led that uh, yeah, yeah. work. Yeah. So Chef Trevor Conk, who's a director of culinary innovation and Chef Jeff Kornberg, who's our uh, director of culinary operations. Yes. The work that they did to make that happen. See, I, I'm lucky. I get to say, hey, this is what I want. This is what I need. They come back. They're like, yeah, we're working with these people. Like, Delication what we've done. This is what they've learned, <laughs> right? And I get to eat it and yeah. taste it and, uh, you know, check off all the boxes that the ethics, integrity, and sourcing requirements are met. I love it. So. This is great. Um, okay, this is uh, the next question. What is one piece of technology you've adopted within your organization that's had a huge impact on communication, efficient, uh, efficiency, you can tell my, I'm, I've had a long day, yeah. efficiency uh, and profitability, anything along those lines? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, September 22nd, I remember the day of uh, 2019, we implemented Mies in all of the restaurants at Little Beat. Um, Little Beat Table had had it beforehand because they were in a trial version of it. But what that has done has unlocked our ability to consistently cook in every restaurant. So it comes back to we needed a way to not have a CDC in every restaurant, right? I can't have a fine dining chef de cuisine in every single fast casual restaurant. That doesn't work in the, the labor model. What is CDC? Ha- yeah. Um, the analogy? Chef de cuisine. Not, a, not the analogy, but the uh, acronym. Okay. Right. Like the leader okay. kitchen, they're expensive. They are, you know, absolute professional, creative. Um, both Jeff and Trevor have, you know, worked, worked in those roles in the past, but we have really talented and skilled prep cooks and line cooks and people that are passionate about cooking, but they may not have all the experience, you know, that um, somebody that's gone to culinary school would have. And so so this tool like brings the recipes to them, they can scale it. So if they're like, oh, I only have, you know, a pound of Calabra chilies today instead of five pounds, I can just tell me I only have one pound. It adjusts the whole recipe for them. No more math on the napkin or anything. And then Chef Jeff has created videos that he's uploaded in there. So it's e-learning too. That are going to show them this is step one, step two. This is what it looks like when it's done. Here's the consistency. And so what that's done for us, I mean, our customer ratings and food quality and food consistency, almost solid fives across the board after we got up to proficiency with this product. And our food costs have come down. What were your food costs before and after? Yeah. So we used to run 31, 32% food costs. Even through the pandemic, we are now running a pretty consistent 26%. Um, a lot of that due to me's, but I'll say a tactic that Amy and Chef Jeff really embarked on this year was how to do small batch cooking because we used to book, cook for hundreds of people every half hour yeah. and <laughs> now we're lucky to see that many in a day sometimes. And so we've really come to like an a la minute cooking process. And so cooking in small batches is where Mies comes into play again, right? We can, you can say, just okay, change the number and it yeah. does all the math for you. We used to do 25 pounds of broccoli at a time. Yeah. And now we're like, maybe we only do one pound or half a pound. Scale it down. It tells you, you know, decrease your pepper, everything. It brings it to the ratio to what you need. Yeah. Exactly. And, and so it's been critical for us to do that. And so I think by being able to train and teach and then also just being, I think, awake enough to know we had to quickly adjust and the output of it is better quality, better food costs, and now we know how we're going to go forward different. Yeah. This method comes into our it, um, suburban stores it, now. It spits out nutritional value too, right? I'm pretty sure. So like, that's another variable that I think the market really wants to know. Like, how many calories? How yeah. many? How many ounce, Like, how many grams of protein? How many grams of salt? It it knows that now. Too. Absolutely. So like, 
you can just you don't have to sit around like how much time is wasted to calculating this stuff t- traditionally yeah traditionally what we've done is how outsource to a nutritionist yeah, yeah. Exactly. we always send the menus through a nutritionist and we will still continue to do that but what Mies does for us is has the information on hand for our team so you're so you're 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 um you know your prime costs are down. Your your uh, food costs are down, but your labor costs are probably down too. I absolutely, imagine. yeah. Um, absolutely. I don't even know if you even have numbers to reflect that since using it. I mean, it's not as tangible. Yeah. Um, but I mean, our our whole business. Um, uh, and that again, that day sticks in my head because I had been here for a year. It was when a lot of like our menu ideas, the technology came on board. Uh, we we just started taking off to a mm-hmm. double digit comp business yeah. or same store sales growth. Um, and it was definitely part of us being able to do that. We had our biggest menu rollout ever during the week that we uh, implemented Mies into our systems. Yeah. And I don't think we would have been effective in doing that without it. So it was field, uh, failing, field failing that mentioned Mies the first time mm. on the show. And I didn't yep. even realize you guys were associated. Yeah. So it makes sense. Yeah. Because um, Sharky used to sit in our office yeah. with us. And, yeah. I just had, and I just had Josh, uh, Joshua Sharky, the founder of Mies, on the show. And he mm-hmm. really broke it down for us. So if you guys did not catch that episode, oh. I think this is going to be going live uh, maybe a month after that episode drops. Go back to that episode uh, right there. And thank you, Josh, for making this connection. Yeah. Um, I'm really happy that I got to sit here with you today. It was, it's been awesome. Um, and Mies is an affiliate. So meaning if you use my links, um, they're going to they're gonna pay me a commission if you guys go with um, me. So if you go to getmies.com slash unstoppable, they're going to pay me 25%. And this, I put a lot of work into make, getting organic recommendations, and this is how you support the show. So yep. if you hear about any tools or services, please go to the, the show notes, use my links, or just remember, getmes.com slash unstoppable. This will help so much. Thank you in advance for using my links. And this is the last question. Are you ready? Oh, I hope so. It's a doozy. <laughs> you better be ready. Uh, if you get the news that you'd be leaving this world tomorrow... All the memories of you, your work, your restaurants will be gone with your departure, with the, ex- the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and your legacy. What would those be? Those, mm. those three pieces of wisdom. Yeah. I think I could guess a couple of them. Could you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll start though, and, and I tell my daughter this all the time, but have courage, be real, be kind. That's three. Nailed it. Fast. I love it. Thank you so much, Becky. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, we wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. So who is somebody you respect and admire in this industry? If you found out that I was getting them on the show tomorrow, you'd be like, oh, I'm tuning into that one. Who, who do you respect and admire? I think I already tipped you off on the answer to this. I, it would be Spencer Rubin. Yeah. Milk shop. You have to talk to Spencer. Spencer, I'm coming after you. Yeah. Look out. Yeah. I think you're, you're on my radar. <laughs> I want to say like, it's getting to the point now where like I can't keep track of all the people I spoke yeah. to. Field may have mentioned him too. He might have. Yeah. yeah. Spencer's pretty cool. Spencer, I'm coming after you. I'd yeah. love to get you on the show. And uh, how can we connect if we want to come join the team? If we want to learn more about anything that was discussed today, what's the best way to connect? Yeah. Info at the little beat is the best for anything. We're checking that constantly and getting things to the right people. So Social if you're looking handles? for, yeah, at eat little beat. At um, eat little beat. I like that. At eat little beat. Yeah. Yep. We're monitoring that too. So thank you for that. But yeah, both uh, info at for email at eat little beat. Uh, you can message us directly and you're, we'll get back to you. You're scaling. There's opportunity here if you're looking for a job. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have lots of restaurants to open. I mean, we didn't stop, yeah. right? Still under construction. So you're unstoppable. Still opening. We are unstoppable. Dang right you are. And this yep. has been a great conversation. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank uh, you. And I've already said it. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. <laughs> 
There we go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Thank you so much to today's guest, Becky Mulligan, for sharing your story and your mentorship. I love this approach you took to your career. You're the true intrapreneur, which is somebody who chooses to grow like an entrepreneur, but within a single organization, and you created opportunities for yourself. You were loyal to this organization, and that loyalty paid off uh, and created opportunities for you elsewhere. And I think this is just a great example of you know, constantly growing and pushing and challenging yourself to be a better version of yourself than you were the day before. Awesome stuff. I am so excited for what we got going on in Restaurant Unstoppable right now in the network and on the show. Right now, as you're listening to this, I'm probably driving or just arriving to Florida, South Florida, either Miami or Naples to start. And I'm going to be connecting with restaurant tours over the next 10 days to 14 days. And we'll slowly be releasing this content over the next three months. Um, and when I come back, we're going to be going deep. We're going to be connecting with the tools and technologies that were recommended on my trip. And then we're, we're also hosting our first ever live courses in Restaurant Unstoppable Network. The goal is to do two courses every semester. Uh, and the two courses we're running in, I guess you can call it the spring semester, are going to be Food, Costing, and Profit 101 with Rudy Mick. And the second course is going to be Delivery Unstoppable, which is a collaboration with Scott Landers from Figure 8 Consulting. And uh, these are going to be live courses once a week. We're going to meet once a week for each course uh, for about an hour. We're going to go over the, the, the curriculum or the you know that course lesson or module and then we're going to do a Q&A. So if you're interested in joining these these live courses, um, here's what you got to do. Head over to the show notes and then join the network and then you can access the courses. And if you don't want to join the network, if, if you're like, I don't want to have to join a network to get access to a course, then email me, eric at restaurantstoppable.com. I'll give you three months of free access to the network uh, to take the course. Uh, and we, we want to get people into these courses. We want to start learning live together uh, and this is this is the future of restaurant unstoppable so um can't wait for the future i hope you guys are excited or as excited as i am and i cannot wait to meet you all right that's it for today thank you guys so much for sticking around this long until next time peace out